Bette Midler, Einstein, and Mordecai Richler, Abby Alana, and their pal Wolf Blitzer. That guy my booby once met on a cruise. These are a few of my favorite Jews. Well, howdy do, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the first episode of Brothers on Brothers. Today we got two brothers talking about two different brothers. Uh, and we are super set and, and right ready to get talking about our new podcast uh, where I moderate two brothers of unknown stature talking about two brothers of known stature. I got this idea for a podcast about a couple years ago. I was walking uh, through the streets of Toronto, Ontario. That's where I got this accent from. And I see me two brothers, a set, a pair, a duo. What was they doing? Well, they was talking about if I remember correctly, I think they were in a fight of some sort. I think one of them owed the other one a couple pennies for a milkshake. <laughs> and there was a little bit of a tiff, a little bit of discord. One was saying to the other, you know, you owe me about one, two pennies for this here milkshake I got you. And the other one said, well, I have it in my records that you didn't give me not one penny. And they were going at it back forth, back forth. And I, I thought, man, well, this is some good stuff. Two brothers talking to each other talking about being brothers and i think we're about to launch something pretty big here because everyone in the world knows about brothers we all got one we all got one not all of us got one some of us got none some of us ain't one but we all seen them we all collect them we all got a couple couple pairs of brothers in the underwear drawer the sock drawer you know pull out a pair of socks underwear brothers in the morning and get started with your damn day and that's what we got today Episode 1 of Brothers on Brothers. Hey guys, it's Laura. I don't know if I'll leave that in. Um, it was... Just came through me. Felt like the right accent for a made-up show about brothers, uh, talking about brothers. But I think probably it's alienating. Uh, I think people probably won't like it. Um, anyways, today on the podcast I have Dan and Matt Worrysmith. As I alluded to in that fake advertisement for a fake podcast, they are brothers. Uh, friends of mine, big fans of both of them. Uh, one is older. The other is uh, oh, even older. And that makes one younger, the first one I mentioned. And um, I, they wanted, I think when I asked them to do it, one of them wanted to talk about... Gene Ween of the band Ween. And the other said Coen Brothers. And I said, let's do Coen Brothers. Because then we got Brothers on Brothers. And they agreed that that was a fun hook. Um, and so they did the podcast. Uh, it was great. I didn't have to do much because they're both uh, great and funny and have great chemistry. And uh, I was just there, you know, watching it unfold. Uh, sometimes interjecting. Holding back an accent, as I always am. And, um, yeah, that's, I'm, I'm excited for you guys to hear this one. It was easy. It was fun. I like talking to my friends. Um, I don't know why. What's new with me? Um, I am currently sick. I don't have COVID. I got tested. I have something even cooler. I'm not allowed to say. Um, it's just a cold. That is our dog. My, my sister's dog crying. Um, his name is Nate. He is, we've had him for about uh, just over a month. He's seven months old. He's just a good boy. He's a naughty boy. He's very challenging, but he's very sweet, but he's very difficult. Um, prior to that, we had a kind of a challenging situation with a dog. 
Another challenging situation with a dog, uh, we fostered um, with a terrible company. I won't say the name of it because I think I'll get sued or something, but they're they're just truly awful. And we fostered a dog whose name was Knox Halt. Uh, basically, they choose a category under which to name these foster dogs, and it always has to be a unique category whenever they get a new um, batch of dogs. So the names are unique in the system. So they went uh, with IKEA Furniture. Um, I have no commentary on that. I won't say whether I think that's stupid or not. I'll just remind you um, what language we do speak uh, and just also which language we don't speak. So we do speak English. We don't speak on um, like Swedish or Dutch. Of course, many, you know, we have many languages in this great city, um, but most commonly uh, we just don't really speak um, Swedish or Dutch that often. That's all I have to say. So maybe our mouths can't wrap around uh, some of the names of the furniture pieces and therefore the names of the dogs. Anyway, it was a really ch a challenging situation. The dog got sick. We couldn't um, convince them to let us get him care. It was like pulling teeth. We were gaslit along the way. Um, and then we had him taken out of our care pretty suddenly just because we asked for um, a diagnosis. And uh, so I went into kind of just a bit of a, a bit of a mild depression. I was eating a lot of sugar. I was watching a lot of shows. Um, and that's really, at this stage in my life, as bad as it gets, I'm proud to say. That's really as bad as it gets. Don't engage in that many other harmful behaviors. Oh, you know what? I smoked some cigarettes. Don't tell anybody except for. Um, you can tell, like, whoever you're listening to this podcast with. Anyway, um, a little bit more about my guests. The brothers I spoke of earlier, the brothers Warry Smith. Dan is an actor and a writer and just an all-around fantastically talented man. And Matt is a musician and a writer. And they're both my friends, okay? And they're both each other's brothers. Just a quick reminder. If you didn't listen to the beginning of this intro, they're brothers, okay? I am Laura. They are brothers. You're going to notice um, at the beginning of this episode, uh, and then also at the end of this episode, you can hear somebody on a meeting in the background. It's, I didn't notice it on the live recording, so that's very much my bad. Um, but I think we did okay. I, I think I edited around it all right. I hope it's not too distracting. It won't be. They're just going to charm your pants off. You won't even notice. Um, or maybe now that I pointed it out, you will notice. My producer said to point it out. I listened to him. Why? Because I'm sick and I'm losing it. Um, so again, it's brothers on brothers. So the two brothers of brothers, Warry Smith, talking about the brothers Cohen. And I'm Laura. Here's Dan and Matt Warry Smith talking about Ethan and Joel Cohen. I've been congested for four and a half months. Yeah, weren't you sick? They is say this it's a, a bad year for pollen. I mean, I no, I. I, I mean, know. it's a great year for pollen and a bad oh, year for. It's us. bad year for people with allergies. Spare me. Um. <laughs> anyways, I think I you, you sound great. You sound, you sound good. good. This is exciting. Thanks for having us. Truly, my pleasure. This is our first um duo, and our first pair of brothers. Mm. Uh, it's your first duo, then. Yeah, it's our to first. To be expected that we're the first brothers as well. Mm-hmm. That, that's true. So you guys are my first brothers. And then following up, you're my first duo. Wonderful. Um, and we're talking about brothers. Mm -hmm. Does that resonate with you guys? 
Yeah, bros on bros. Bros on bros. A pretty baby. That's like a pretty good podcast idea. Dan, should we start a separate podcast where we just talk about other sets of brothers? It's guaranteed to be a success, so I think we should. Non-famous, right? Yeah, it's just any brothers. Any brothers. No one has insight on brothers like a couple of brothers. Amen. Um, and, oh, you know what's fun, too? So, guys, welcome to uh, a few of my favorite Jews. I've taken a month off. I forgot the name of the podcast. Um, but this is... When's the last time I had a Jew? Actually, my last guest was a Jew, um, but I don't, I've never had two Jews. Once again, Wait, I've never had two guests. You don't so, have exclusively uh, Jews on this show? No, this is open to all faiths. But you're it's asking uh, other people who their favorite Jews are? Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. I understand. Well, you think it's problematic? You think people shouldn't be able to talk about their favorite Jew if they're not Jewish? No. Not Let's unpack all. this title a little bit. Is each of the Jews discussed on the show one of your favorite Jews? Mm-mm. I see. Well, because every Jew, I mean, also like uh, at every a Jew certain point, Jew. every Jew is my favorite Jew. Every Jew is sacred. Every Jew is sacred. Son of Sam, Madoff, the other bad Jews. <laughs> Madoff, uh, Weinstein. I actually don't want to do this. There's, there's a good handful in recent years that happened. Don't get me started. And bad so Jews? good. A bad Jews. Yeah, a bad batch. We got a bad batch recently. Bad juju on those Jews. Bad juju on those Jews. Is juju um, problematic? Where does that come from? That's it 100% is. I don't even know where it comes from, which is why I know I shouldn't say it. Sick. Leave it in the show. Yeah. I don't say anything anymore if I don't know what it is. <laughs> Let's just not say anything. Five, four, three. Oh, wait. Numbers are so problematic. Counting down from five. It's like I'm favoring the numbers. I'm like Trigger ordering that. six. Devil. <laughs> I just mean, never mind. <laughs> now we're back to Madoff. Um, let's just do this, I guess. I don't know that we need to cover the Coen brothers. Um, anyways, you guys uh, together make one full Jew, right? You guys are Habsies? Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, why did you guys choose the Coen brothers? Have we started? Uh, yeah, we started. Yeah. <laughs> hey, everybody. Welcome. Welcome to uh, Matt and Dan Worry Smith, two brothers, as we've established, um, because we started. Okay. Uh, and they have chosen the Coen brothers. I think, they, I think you guys maybe wanted to do uh, someone else, and then I said it would be fun for brothers to talk about brothers. We considered Aaron Freeman mm -hmm. for a short time, and yeah. I find it likely that we'll end up talking about him quite a bit anyways. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah, the idea of uh, bros on bros was, was a strong idea. And I know also, Dan, you've been, I don't know if you still are, but over the pandemic, you were like re-watching all the Coen Brothers movies. I re-watched them all. And oh, um, there were a couple that I hadn't even seen before. It occurred to Ooh. me before this, as I, I decided I wanted to list, I, I wanted to rank all the Coen Brothers movies, which I did for my own personal benefit. Uh, and then I realized that there are two of their films that I have never seen. To this day. Still? Can I guess? Oh, fine. Go yeah. ahead. I'm going to guess one of them is Intolerable Cruelty. What's your other guess? The Lady if, Killers. If he gets it wrong, don't say, don't say I want to guess two. I'm just guessing the two that I haven't seen. Oh, no, I've seen both of those. Same. Okay, okay, okay. Um, 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 a Serious Man. No, I feel like... Seen it. Okay. Um, oh. The Jewiest of them all. I assumed that you hadn't seen the two that I hadn't seen for 
some self-centered reason, I guess. What are the two that you haven't seen? Wait, Inside Lewin Davis. That's my other guess. Seen it. Anything Whatever. vaguely folk music related, I have seen. Okay. The two I haven't seen are The Man Who Wasn't There, <gasps> The Hudsucker Proxy. Uh, okay. The Man Who Wasn't There is in my second tier of Coen Brothers films, like in the top five. That's not the first tier? Yeah. No, the first tier is The Big Lebowski, Fargo, and No Country mm-hmm. for Old Men. Okay, so tiers are in uh, threes. There's no, there, so I watched all the movies. There's 18 of them. Okay, wow. And you know, I, as like a, an avid but fairly basic cinephile, the Coen brothers are like some of my favorite filmmakers. Like I love mm-hmm. movies, but I'm definitely not like a big movie geek as far as having a really big depth of knowledge. Yeah. Um, and I ranked them in a full one to 18 order, but then I kind of felt like, I felt a little better not putting something like Big Lebowski or Fargo or No Country above those other I see. The ones mm-hmm. here. So yeah, there was no rules. I just kind of felt it out. And it was a lot of fun. I stumbled into the rewatch. Like I watched No Country just because I saw it on Netflix. Yeah. And it's so fucking good. So <laughs> I, fucking good. Yeah. And then I was like, oh, I'll watch whatever. And so I, I think if I had to do it again, uh, I would go in chronological order, which I'm now actually doing with the Paul Thomas Anderson filmography, but I don't think he's Jewish, folks. Um, so anyways, that, that was the process. And then I just started like kind of banging them off and watching whichever came to mind. And uh, it was so much fun. It's it crazy how good their movies are. I, I think their bad a, movies are pretty good. Yeah. What are their bad movies? The Lady well, Killers is the worst. What I'm calling, yeah, the bottom of the list. Uh, they're not bad, but mm-hmm. yeah. My very, very bottom is Intolerable Cruelty, I think was the worst movie of theirs. The I Lady think... Killers is on its own bottom tier all by itself for me. It's mm-hmm. the worst? And one step above is Intolerable Cruelty and The Hudsucker Proxy. I love... Okay, so I uh, I haven't seen The Lady Killers in years, and when I saw it, it was like when it first came out, before I knew who the Coen brothers were or what my connection to them was, and I was like, oh, this movie is kind of interesting, and now looking at it through the lens of this is a Coen brothers movie, it's clear that it's not as good. But I do like the like Tom Hanks, Southern Colonel Sanders kind of character. I think it's really funny. He goes for it. He really does. It also has one of my other favorite Jews, which is, I think it's Marlon Wayans. <laughs> <laughs> one of those Wayans. Yeah, he always plays a Jew, too. It's like, I know. He's really typecast, yeah. Poor He's guy. really typecast. I think that Intolerable, cru- intolerable Cruelty, uh, I don't think they wanted to do it. I'm pretty sure George Clooney convinced them to do it, which I like to think, because I like to think that they just have like good cinematic judgment and they stumbled into it i think they have good uh friends also like they help their friends out a Mm, lot mm -hmm. if you look at their credits they have a lot of like uncredited work as well where they you know their buddy sam raimi would be like hey do you want to come and direct this movie and not be credited and they'd be like yes um and they also did a bunch of rewrites for other movies that they weren't credited for so i think yeah clooney is a good friend of theirs obviously and i think that that is exactly what happened and that is a guess (laughs) that's fine most of the stuff i have on this paper is between factual and guessing um these they seem like good friends they seem like good family men i think it's interesting i mean they're brothers they work together. They work with their wives. Frances McDormand is Joel's wife. But I project that when Hollywood people wor- uh, work with their families, 
that they're just uh, more grounded, better people. That's just a guess I have. They're nice Jewish I don't boys. Think that, I think they're pretty grounded, but truly I don't believe anyone who is in Hollywood is like a grounded, normal person. I think Because of money uh, or fame or both? Both. And also yeah. the, you know, it's friggin' Tinseltown, baby. You know, <laughs> it's all glitz and glamour. I, I, you know, uh, I mean, I think they seem to be, I like, um, I, I, in my opinion, the more private a celebrity is, the more grounded in reality they are, because mm -hmm. I think they're, you know, they're trying to disengage. And I really like, you know, with the Coen brothers, I think that they're truly like artists and filmmakers who got into it because they love film and they wanted to make great film and not for a love of money and a want of fame. So that to me is a good indicator that they have some, some, sense of normalcy still still going on do we know would, how jewish they are i mean culturally very if just if you look at their movies right right um i think you wouldn't make a serious man if you weren't pretty i mean i think also they i couldn't speak to how religious they are but they definitely inject lots of judaism into their films yeah yeah and and obviously they have a really good handle on like a serious man is a great, great example, I think, with the, the different rabbis they go to and how all the yeah. rabbis give them super cryptic, useless <laughs> answers to the questions. And, um, uh, you know, like that in itself feels very much like a story that a rabbi would would tell you. So I think they, you know, they like to um, they like to show where they came from, whether or not that is where they how they currently feel, you know. Yeah, I don't, I don't think that they're religious, but I don't think that makes them less Jewish. Like, or even that, that a serious man starts off with that, like, Jewish folktale. Yeah. They either knew about that or sought it out. But either way, that's pretty friggin' Jewish. Yeah, I mean, that's such a Jewish movie. And it's pretty autobiographical, the most that you'll get from them, right? It's, they grew up in Minnesota. And mm -hmm. that's, it takes place in that time period. Oh, so wonderfully Jewish. Those rabbis are incredible. <sighs> Man, I actually just watched The Serious Man for the first time recently. Oh. And I laughed so hard uh, at like the whole, the whole Fred Malamud. Oh, I did a little weird yeah. hand, like hand pointing motion. Um, the whole Fred Malamud bit where he, uh, Fred Malamud, and I don't know who plays the wife, but she's so funny. Yeah, she's great. Um, and they're telling him that he needs to move out of his own home. And he suggests, like, maybe you should move in with Fred Malamud. And he says something to the effect of, like, oh, surely you're jesting. <laughs> like, it's such an insane proposition that he wouldn't be kicked out of his own house. And I laughed so hard. It really is such a funny movie. I had never seen Fred Malamud before that movie. And uh, I was like, how... First of all, this is a real person. This guy isn't an actor. They pulled this guy out of time and placed him in this yeah. movie. And how had I not heard of him? And now every time I, if he's in something, I will watch it and I will enjoy it pretty much. Or at least enjoy his performance in it. Yeah. yeah he's great. There, there is something about him that is so 100% authentic. I, 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 that probably is exactly who he is. I think he's close to it. Yeah, I think I read something. And again, this is a guess. But I, I seem to remember reading something about him where like he was an he wanted to be an actor when he was younger. And he had, a, you know, did theater and stuff like that and went to, you know, acting school and then wasn't an actor for most of his adult life and then rediscovered it. And I think that that is um, 
a gift to the world that we didn't have him as a young man acting and that he we got him as he is now because it's so perfect. I've never seen a role that he's cast in where I was like, I could imagine somebody else doing it. He definitely is someone who aged into his archetype. I don't know that I would have enjoyed him as much and like as a 30 year old man. He's Uh-oh. perfect 50 plus. Not interested. You know what he's a really good example of? I don't, I don't think the Coen brothers have done this with him, but they, they often uh, decide who they're going to cast in a character. And then they, that's their way into writing the character is by having an actor in mind. Fred Malamud. And, and when I first heard that, I was like, okay, I mean, I guess I kind of get how you could like, uh, you know, pick up on like an actor's vibe and infuse that into the character. But you can't write like a whole character just based on an actor. But Fred Malamud, I mean, it's a million characters just living inside that guy, you know? I'd watch a, a whole movie based on him, you know? Mm-hmm. I, hope they, I hope they write a whole movie for him one day because he's so funny. Oh, you just want to punch him in the face and serious, man. He's so <laughs> yeah. just like the patience and like the tone of his voice. And they really do a great job of bringing you into like the frustration of uh, uh, Larry, I think is the, the main character. Right? Yeah, Larry. Um, yeah, for sure. I saw that like a, a lot of these Coen Brothers movies, I'll go see kind of as soon as I can. So on opening weekend. And I saw that in a sold out theater, um, which not to say, like I didn't take a head count or anything, but there had to be a ton of Jews in there just based <laughs> on how people would react to like little moments in the, in the film. And, and based so on the really little fun. like crinkling of hard candy yeah. the entire time. Yeah. There's, I feel like there's like a close up of like ear hair at some point. Like there's, <laughs> there's just really, uh, you know, you don't have to be Jewish to appreciate how funny ear hair is, but uh, there was a vibe in the room of just yeah. like, you know, it's like going to see a good comedian or, or a good band or something where like the audience is just like open to the experience that they're about to, to, you know, submit themselves to. Yeah. And, uh, and it was great. And I've tried, I've probably seen it four times. I've tried not to watch it too much. Same with no country. Cause I, if I watch it, I want there to still be like, Oh yeah, this happened as opposed to like, I know beat by beat. Right. Uh, but yeah, that has to be one of the best just because it's so it feels so true to to their experience and uh if you're a jewish person and you're you know you're into all of the things that are funny about being jewish there's just so much there what a what a testament to how uh beloved the cohen's are that a serious man you saw in a sold out theater mm-hmm. like it's like a pretty yeah. slow burn movie about a midlife crisis Jew, you know, like I don't, I don't remember it being like really advertised a lot, but uh, it's great. People seek out their movies. This is gonna be slightly tangential, but when did a serious man come out? Let's guess approximately. Actually, I, I don't have to guess. I think I, I, think, I want to say like two thousand nine. Oh, I was gonna been... say twenty eleven was my okay. guess. We're talking, of course, about a serious man. Two thousand nine. Two thousand nine. Okay. Dan wins again. Hello. Dan is the older brother, guys, just for context about who wins and loses within a duo of brothers. Okay? I wonder how similar our voices will sound to people oh, who shit. are not accustomed to hearing them. All You're three congested. Of us? I'm not. And I'm <laughs> a lady. <laughs> uh, You're not our brother at all. No, I, I, I truly wish. Um, wouldn't that be something? Wouldn't that be something? There's still time in the that podcast for you guys to something. change your minds. <laughs> You're in. Thanks. Um, okay, 2009. The reason I was thinking about that is because I get sad sometimes that um, Marvel really blew up in like 2010s. 
And I I think prior to to the Marvel movies, I could see uh you know like a slow burn film about Jews selling out. I wonder like if this younger generation, even like millennials, if if a serious man would do as well today. Like I don't know if people go to the movies as much for non action sci-fi flicks. Right. Well, the Coen Brothers Spider-Man movie, I think, is going to be a really big hit. <laughs> Spider-Man. Spider-Man. Um, <laughs> That's right. It's very Jewish. Jonah Spider-Man. And there's no action at all. Like, it's just all Peter Parker. Yeah, just like, sort of, beset upon. In his own mind. <laughs> Working it out. I mean, again, they're close with Raimi. I wonder if they had any hand in his... He made three Spider-Man movies. Did he? Yeah, the original Tobey Maguire Spider-Man movies were Sam Raimi. They they were uh, asked to make uh, a Batman, one of the Batmans. I don't know which. Um, Tim Burton's. They were offered, yeah. I guess, yeah. I mean, I guess they had been... What was that, 89? Yeah, the first Batman from Burton is 89. And then uh, Batman Returns is, I think, 92. Right. So they would have just come off Raising Arizona. (laughs) Someone saw Raising Arizona and thought these guys (laughs) should make a Batman movie. I mean, before that, they did make like several pretty dark, like Blood Simple was before that. I guess really that's it. Blood Simple. Uh, And then they they were making Miller's Crossing. Came out in 90, I think. Yeah, yeah, so Blood Simple was their first movie they ever made. I think that was the first time they were on a film set. It's so good. That's third tier for me. That's um, third tier. That's, that's so it's in the top in eight. <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah, let's hear it. So wait, what, what number is yours, Dan? It's number eight for me. Number wow. eight for Matt. There you go. It's so right wait. in the same zone. I mean, yeah, let me, I, I do have it individual. So let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six. I, I think our wow, list it's, eight. it's also eight. Pretty, pretty similar lists, I bet. <laughs> I also think it's so adorable that you both have lists. I mean, this wasn't required. But you I just did, did this did while, I, while I was doing my rewatch. It was just a fun thing to do. And then- I just did it right before we did this because I thought it could be interesting. And also, I had a sneaking suspicion that Dan was going to have an idea of how he was going to rank it. And so I wanted to be prepared. Yeah. I very much enjoy ranking things as well. Oh, you got to rank them. You got to rank. Like throughout, for years, I've thought, Fargo is the best Coen Brothers movie. In my estimation, Fargo is my favorite. It's got the brutality and the, you know, futility of like dumb people breaking the law when they have no idea how to cover their tracks. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it also is hilarious. And it's so, you know, and the Frances McDormand character and her husband, and there's just so much like beautiful, cute human stuff that feels really real. So it has so much going on. Um, and and no country, you know, it's, it's flawless. Like when I saw that in the theater, it totally killed me. And I don't know if you have these together in your mind at all, but it came out right at the same time as There Will Be Blood. Mm-hmm. And I remember yeah. like appreciating There Will Be Blood, but really favoring no country in my mind of those two viewings. I probably saw them within the same week or two. I think um, we all pair those two movies together in our heads. Yeah, I've sure. actually sometimes called No Country for Old Men, There Will Be Blood because I get confused. And there re-watched. will be blood in no country as well. Yeah, that's true. Mm-hmm. A lot. So much blood. And there was no country for old men and there will be blood. That's a good no point. No blood for old men, eventually. And no <laughs> for old blood. <laughs> I fell asleep during uh, There Will Be Blood because I was very stoned. And I've not rewatched it. 
and no country probably the same thing happened but i rewatched it several times in my adult life and actually speaking of uh bumbling criminals sort of who don't know how to cover their tracks i just rewatched no i just watched for the first time burn after reading yeah which everyone talked about brad pitt's performance and i was like i don't know why it's such a revelation that brad pitt would play a, like a male bimbo so well and then i watched it and it is it's like really very funny he does Maybe like i should really rewatch good. it it's way at the bottom of my list i've only seen it once and i didn't like it at the time but maybe I'll rewatch it's it now with, uh, with a with a more uh, adult eye. A beard. But that I mean, I'm looking, beard. I'm looking for people being naked. Now it did a lot. A it did a lot more for me on the rewatch. I remember thinking like, oh, I don't like this at all. And it came out it's really fun. close to No Country. Like right after. Yeah, I think that's right. why uh, people don't. Uh, I mean, they have a lot of great movies. I don't know that. I think people just have discerning taste. But I also do think that it was obviously going to be compared to the movie that came out maybe the year before. Yeah. Name another, I mean, they're different. Name another filmmaker who can, or filmmakers who can release movies like a year in a row or, you know, right next to each other. One of which is like the dark, seedy, dirty, you know, bloody no country for old men. And then followed immediately by like the silly, irreverent, uh, you know, like no real plot you know yeah. like as yeah. burn after i mean there is a plot but it's so it's like it's convoluted yeah it's it's all up high you know there's no it's not like grounded in anything that feels real it's so silly yeah and they're both good you know and that's why fargo a perfect example lebowski another perfect example i think of them being able to like really mix comedy and i guess lebowski is more of a comedy but comedy and intrigue and uh I love all their noir stuff. I'm a big fan of that L.A. noir sort of style. Yeah. But you haven't seen The Man Who Wasn't There yet. No, I got to watch it. You're going to love it. Maybe I'll it's watch really, it. It's really, right really Right now. Good. See ya. Yeah, Bye. Burn After Reading is so low on my list, but it's better than any other director's movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like yeah. almost anyone, right? So I was pretty impressed because I had kind of dismissed it in my mind when I did this rewatch. I thought it was pretty great. And since you mentioned Lebowski, Lebowski is also at the top of my list. And I feel like it has this place in the zeitgeist that like devalues it in a way because it's like dudes have like conventions and like right. it's such a popular movie. And at least for me, in my mind, I was always able to think, oh, Fargo's clearly better or yeah. No Country is clearly better. And maybe it's also because it's a comedy or whatever, but rewatching Lebowski, it's perfect. It's a perfect movie. And the music is so good. And it's so funny, like constantly funny. Um, and the cast is, is just crazy. And, and I also remember watching it the first time. It is really intriguing. Once you know it, those beats are like, okay, yeah, I know what's going to happen. But the, there's a big mystery going on in that movie. A the lot first of time twists. You watch it. Yeah. I think comparing Coen Brothers movies is just like trying to compare genres. It's like, yeah. Sometimes noirs are like, if, maybe you like noirs, maybe you like comedies, whatever. But like the way they, they fully, they make fully formed movies in, within the genre that they've chosen that are also genre defying, but like they, they really know how to make a genre movie. They're kind of the ween of uh, directors. I'll take that. 
I was going to say Lebowski to me is sort of like Rick and Morty. I'm like a huge, huge yeah. fan. It's one of my favorite things of all time, but I, I'm afraid place. to admit it in public because yeah. people will think of me as that kind of fan. <laughs> uh, yeah, I I'm not afraid know. to admit it in public. Here I am on a podcast talking about how I like them both. But Lebowski, it's like, if people are like, what's your favorite movie? And I said the big Lebowski. If I heard someone else say that, I'd be like, this fucking asshole. <laughs> but it is, you know, it's number two mm. on my list. It's, it's probably one of my absolute favorite movies of all time. I'm gonna post these lists uh, in the uh, promo for this. Should we go through them? Gonna... Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it quick, quick, quick. Okay, I'll go first. But slow. Okay. Okay, number one with the bullet. Mm. And I don't think this is because it's their best movie, but I think it's the one that I think about the most and it's the one that stayed with me and I think it's influenced me in, in more ways than just being a fan of their movies. Okay. Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Wow. And I saw that movie when I was a kid. It like opened up my, my mind to this yeah. whole other, you know, I then went on to like make a bunch of country music and be pretty obsessed with Americana and that sort of traditional um, style of, of music and storytelling. Um, so, okay. Oh, brother. Okay. Big Lebowski. Okay. No Country for Old Men. Mm-hmm. Fargo. Okay. Hail Caesar. Uh-huh. Really? Uh-huh. High on the list. Everyone rewatch it. It's so good. I've never so seen it. Oh. oh, it's so good. I you know, and on as a quick aside, I love movies made by Hollywood people who love Hollywood about Hollywood, especially when it's made in such a Cohen Brothers way. Uh, it's just a love letter to Hollywood. <laughs> <laughs> All I right. gotta agree. True Grit. I love cowboys. I, I would have thought True Grit would have been higher for you. Yeah, I, I really, it was hard for me to put it this low, but all the movies above it are so good. Followed immediately by Buster Scruggs, their other Western, which I almost put lower because it's not like a full theatrical movie, but it's so good. The music is so good. The casting is so good. And I think there's something really special about directors who are known for, uh, you know, long form movies and then forcing themselves to do little shorts like that is really awesome. Oh, it's a short. It's a series of shorts that are all um, westerns. They all take place in the west. And also, talk about Ween and 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 like genre. Every single one of them has a, like a completely different tone. And some of them are really dark and sad. And some of them are really funny. Some of them are both. Okay, Blood Simple, A Serious Man, Barton Fink, mm-hmm. Raising Arizona, mm-hmm. Miller's Crossing, mm-hmm. Inside Lewin Davis. Mm-hmm. Lady Killers, mm-hmm. Burn After Reading, mm-hmm. Intolerable Cruelty, mm-hmm. and then I've never seen The Man Who Wasn't There in Hudsucker Proxy. Unique list, or unique ordering, I should say, I think. Maybe. I think a lot of people um, rate Lewin Davis a lot higher on their list. I'm also fairly low on it. Mm-hmm. And I, uh, again, on the rewatch, like there's a lot to like about it, but maybe it's, it's just that the character, there's a lot of unlikable characters in it or something about it. And it's also just a testament to how great their movies are. That like, even like 14th out of 18 on this list, on my list is something that I love. It's only the last couple where they start to really like, okay. In fact, I think only the last two movies, the lowest on my list are Hudsucker Proxy and Lady Killers. And to me, those like, there's plenty of bad stuff about both of them. Yeah. Um, My biggest problem with Lewin Davis is a movie about music. And especially because a lot of their movies have really great music in it. I was disappointed that there was only like one great song in that movie. 
And otherwise, the music was kind of uh, lacking, in my opinion. It's funny because, uh, shit, what's that guy's name that scores all of their movies? Hang on. I wrote it down. Aaron Freeman. Carter Burwell. <laughs> Carter Burwell scores all of their movies, except for, obviously, Inside Llewyn. Not obviously, but Inside Llewyn Davis. They, oh, I forget. They hired someone to, like, write all of the music. But interesting. Marcus Mumford of Mumford mm. and Sons. Oh. And, I think, and, a, and a few other dudes. But, yeah, the big song from that movie in in the movie lewin davis he like he had a hit with his partner and now he's trying to go solo and everyone's like just play your hit that's all we want and he doesn't want to and the hit is yeah mm. a song by marcus mumford which is like mm. a folky song which is the best song is that the first song to me the the very beginning of the movie is the best song but that's probably an older song uh the, the hang song that, me oh hang me i'll be dead and gone that's a traditional song Ooh. that's an old song that they that didn't so, write so the nice. one that he wrote is um um fare thee well right. my honey fare right. you well yeah guys people are just paying for podcast content and now they're gonna get music too <laughs> gonna get two seconds of some songs that we don't really know very well <laughs> <laughs> i think that's worth about seven dollars <laughs> um, that's more than you get from a stream honestly. you know what lewin davis does do really well though which you know basically all the coen brothers movies do cast a hottie like, Oh yeah, yeah. Stone Cold Killer. Stone Cold Killer. God, he's Stone good. So hot. Um, and 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 just make you feel like you're really there. Like that's mm. feels. I wasn't in New York in the '60s, but it's completely seamless. Like all you know, the production design and all of the sets and you know costuming and everything else. And you know, I don't think that's easy. You can you can see plenty of period movies where they're not pulling it all off, mm-hmm. and and that's that's an example where I remember being in the theater and thinking, oh, this is like my favorite part about this movie, just the fact that like, because how great would it be to walk around New York in the '60s if you could for a day, right? Like it, yeah. Um, it seems it's the the fabric of it that they that they put together, I think is is really good. And yeah, I had it in my mind also, like I didn't really love it, and then I did really enjoy watching it this last time. But I there's just too much good about a lot of the other movies for me to say like, okay, this is one of my favorites. But I do think a lot of Coen Brothers fans have it way closer to the top of their list. People really Mm. love it. People seem to love it. I actually haven't seen it. Yeah. What you said right there about their ability to really put you in the time and place and make a period piece that feels real reminds me of when I saw True Grit in theaters. It was with a friend of mine. And afterwards, he was like, oh, I hated it. I didn't like it. And I didn't (laughs) understand. He was like, and he was like, I could make a movie like that. Like you set a movie out in the desert, just like shoot the desert and it's going to be beautiful. I was like, you're a fucking idiot. Go ahead and make, why, don't you, why don't you go get a bunch of Oscars then? Why don't you make some movies? I know, whenever oh, people say shit like that. What the fuck are you talking I about? I fucking hate that. In fact, usually when people say shit like that is because whatever piece of art they're talking about, the person who made it, made it so well that it appears seamless and it feels like anyone could do it because they made it look so easy and so good. That's... We're- so we're not stupid. friends anymore. <laughs> oh, perfect. That day was the ending, <laughs> as it should be. That wasn't the ending. It went on for quite a bit longer. But Let's that get was, into it. That was one of the first sides yeah. of being like, all right, this guy's fucked. <laughs> <laughs> Which Coen Brothers movie ended your friendship? <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Oh. They're like incredibly meticulous about like uh, everything before they get on set is like meticulously thought out there's no room for improvising they even send the actors storyboards like so that everyone has a a frame of reference for like what's going to go on on set and then there's room obviously for like when i say improvising i mean improvising i think like emotionally and tonally but in no other respect and it shows Mm -hmm. imagine having 
the patience to direct a movie. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's, I know. I got, it's so much work. I know. I, I think it's probably think, nice that they have each other. You know? It's crazy pressure. I mean, I don't think they feel it because they're obviously in control of everything. Uh, and now they've been doing it for so long. But the amount of like responsibility you have to direct a movie, it must be really freaky for people who are earlier in their career. Or maybe you can even find your way there if you have the experience just because there's so many other forces at play. And, you know, there's all of this money riding on all the little decisions you make on the day. It's a pretty crazy job. They quickly for the for uh, Blood Simple, they you know raise all the money independently from investors, mm -hmm. and then they eventually had to give that money back. And so they said they had to just completely compartmentalize the experience of making a movie, of their first ever movie, where a lot of the people on that set were on set for the first time in their lives, with the idea that money was riding on it they had to make money and they just like separated those two things emotionally which is incredibly hard to do separating art from money is so crucial and so so difficult so difficult <laughs> so let's hard. hear let's hear your list dan yeah okay dan list us up i'm gonna do my tears i'm gonna go in tears okay because i don't some of them i don't want to put above the other ones okay my first tier is lebowski fargo and no country for old men great tier Perfect. It couldn't be better. Flawless. The second tier is a serious man and the man who wasn't there. And I don't really know that I could point to any like less perfection in those movies, but it's just, there's just a slight step down maybe in how I feel watching them. And a serious man in a way, I feel like maybe is their most perfect from like a personal experience uh -huh. standpoint of like what they're and certainly uh relevance to our favorite jews that's you know by far um so i don't know maybe it's something it, it's it's kind of an anxiety driven story so maybe that's it but it's just about the feeling that i have whereas yeah. no country in the top tier it's very brutal and like hard to watch in some ways yes but there's also this feeling uh again of, of perfection or something just like i'm watching something that's so um, wonderfully put together and the acting is so great and all that. Uh, the third tier is Hail Caesar, True Grit, and Blood Simple. Uh, and on True Grit, I saw that in the theater and I remember thinking like, this is cool. I'm not as big a Western fan as you, Maddie. Yeah. Um, but for whatever reason, when I saw it in the theater, I was just like, oh, this is a lesser Cohen's work for me. And I had only seen it that time. And when I did the rewatch, this is now probably five months ago or something. I was blown away at how good it was. And uh, that and Buster Scruggs, Oh Brother has some of this too. This like the way that they write dialogue for the old West, you know, people speak so much differently and who knows if they actually spoke that way. It might be a little more poetic or, you know, um, seamlessly put together than, than maybe people would have spoken. But I just love that stuff. And I was surprised at how much I loved Matt Damon. I feel like he's an actor who kind of, often surprises me like when i saw the martian i was like okay whatever and then he, i thought he was great in it and this yeah, rewatch yeah. of true grit man matt david's so good really good. Haley steinfeld too like ridiculous how good she is yeah child. is she a like a pop child. star now is she yeah. like a singer yeah, right. she's and, a and she still acts i think but yeah i mean she did the like child star into you know sexy young adult pop star uh -huh. um as do we all as do we all uh -huh. but yeah she's uh she blew me away in that her accent was perfect. She's a child, and she she that could have been way like campier, I guess. But I thought she it was pretty subtle. 
Yeah. yeah, especially with all that dialogue. Like, it's real flowery. Mm-hmm. Um, and she goes toe-to-toe with all of the big actors. Yeah. Like, she yeah. dresses everyone down. Yeah, it was really cool. I'll probably watch that again, like, maybe before any of these other ones, just because I had the least familiarity with it. Like, it, it went, it, it took the highest leap in my estimation of their films um, on this rewatch. So that's the third tier. The fourth tier is Oh Brother, Where Art Thou, Raising Arizona, and The Ballad of Buster Scruggs. Um, yeah, the ba- Buster Scruggs was a Netflix release, but they did, you know, like a lot of these movies uh, do these days, if they are like an Amazon or a Netflix or whatever, um, they do a small theatrical run so that they're, I think, eligible for awards and stuff. Oh. So uh, Matt and I and our dad went to see Buster Scruggs in the theater Fine. where it was probably only playing for a little while. And I was so glad that we did that. Um, and it's That's funny, so looking nice. back on some of these movies, like not even that old, like Burn After Reading, I didn't see in the theater. And I, when I think about it, I'm like, how on earth did I not do that? Because now if they put out a movie, it'll be like, I'm going. Mm-hmm. And not you know, like maybe even the first show, if I can go Friday at like 1230 or whatever that first show is. Um, yeah, it was really cool to get to see that on the big screen. That's awesome. Next, Ugh, I miss going to the movies. I know. Yeah, they're I know. opening up there. We can go to the movies, I think. I again, Soon. Like yeah. this, like a couple of days from now. I'm excited. Awesome. I'm excited to see Boss Baby. <laughs> oh, I'm going to see Boss Baby so hard. I'm just, I'm excited to take my daughter to the movies. I'm Let's so bring Boss Babies. Well, I got Boss Baby's the only one out right now. <laughs> We're ranking the Boss Baby movies. Okay. Look no. who's talking to. <laughs> yeah. There is so many uh, baby-centric films in the 90s. Uh, baby's Day uh, Out? Ba- baby's Big Day Out? Baby's Day Out. Look baby who's Geniuses. Talking. Baby Geniuses. That's the one. Baby Jesuses. Baby oh, Jesuses. Yeah. I have a theory that's a loose theory about why babies were so popular in the 90s, like talking babies, is be- I think because, oh no, I guess it was more like the early 2000s. It's related to 9 11. I don't have time to get into it. <laughs> wow. <laughs> What's we don't have the- tier, what are we on? Tier five? Let's keep going. Sure. One, two, three, four. Yeah. Five is Barton Fink, Lewin Davis, Burn After Reading, and Miller's Crossing. Miller's Crossing took the biggest dive in my, and again, this is just kind of in relation to other movies. Uh, there's a lot of great stuff about it, and it's pretty unique in their um, filmography. But it's also a bit, it's a little bit of a slog, um, and it's not really fun at all. Whereas <laughs> That's how I feel about Barton Fink, which I think for a lot of Coen Brothers fans is really high on the list. And I really think... A lot of it, it just takes so long to get there. I think the last half hour is so amazing and gorgeous. And, you know, John Goodman standing in the hall with the building on fire is like so iconic. But it takes a really long time to get there. Really quick interlude talking about Barton Fink and Miller's Crossing. Because they write their stories, they don't really map them out. They just enter at the beginning and, and sort of let it unfold. They get really bad writer's block quite a lot. And apparently they wrote the movie Barton Fink during their writer's block on Miller's Crossing. Right. Which I think is so impressive that 
like when I get writer's block, I just have writer's block. I don't have writer's block for one particular project. I guess like that makes sense. Also, Barton Fink is like about a guy with writer's block. Yeah. Ah. Right? So they were like, oh, I guess I can focus my feelings into this script. Okay. I didn't know that. That makes sense. There's so much good stuff in Barton Fink. I mean, I've, I, the acting is almost always great in all of their movies. Um, and I just love John Turturro and Barton Fink has some of that good Hollywood stuff. I forget the name of the actor, but the movie mogul guy is incredible. Mm-hmm. Those scenes are so good. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't love on this rewatch. Um, there's a character that's supposed to be like Tennessee Williams. Who's like the drunk author. And I've, I found that to just like, it's, it's all well done, but I, not enjoyable to watch at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, apparently the, that hotel is hell and John Goodman is the devil. That's one yeah, of the yeah. theories about the movie. I'm sure uh. it's been covered all over the place. But yeah, people adore that movie. And it has that fantastic Simpsons joke where they say they're going to sneak into an R-rated movie called Barton Fink. Barton and then they're all Fink. going, Barton, Barton Fink. Fink. <laughs> Just brilliant. Because children wouldn't enjoy it. No. And then uh, Intolerable Cruelty and the Hudsucker Proxy are on the same uh second lowest tier and then the lady killers was i thought by far the worst our Um, lady killers and still better i think than you know if if you were to have 10 different filmmakers make a movie that's kind of like a a southern romp like that Mm -hmm. i I think this would be one of the best ones you could possibly get but uh in the shadow of all these other masterworks i simply Mm -hmm. can't rate it any higher than the worst is Lady Killers a comedy? I haven't yeah. seen it. Yeah, okay. it's like a heist comedy, sort of. Yeah. Okay. And it's a remake. Right. Is there it was an funny? earlier version. Yeah, it's funny. It's all right. Okay. It's got, like I said earlier, it has Tom Hanks doing this, like, Colonel Sanders character, which I think is really funny. Okay. Uh, just because it's, I love watching Tom Hanks, like, um, act yeah 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> but also like act get a little bit outside of the the tom hanks zone do some I character like, acting yeah it's great yeah but that's the best part of it in my opinion okay um i want to talk about comedy and violence do you guys like those two things i love those two things <sighs> separately and together okay me too i want to i was thinking about them in relation to jews and jews are known for their comedy we're known for liking comedy. We're known for making comedy. We're known for being pretty good at comedy. Um, I don't know if we're known for our penchant for violence or our interest in violence. Mm. Maybe I'm I wrong. I wouldn't say so. I don't think so either. I don't think so. But I was thinking that, like, this is a loose theory. I, I always qualify my theories. Um, you know, we have a lot of uh, trauma and violence in our history. And I think that, like, most Jews I know are pretty anxious people who, like, fear violence and death a lot, like, deeply anxious people. And I think we think about it a lot. I think we, we probably think about it more than we realize. And I think the Cohen brothers are just, like, not repressing their uh, Jewish interest in, like, horrendous violence and, like, violence devoid of morality um, because, you know, the Holocaust. I think. Um... I think film and like living in and creating fantasy or fiction is, is because I, I, first of all, I think you're right. Like for me personally, the thought of violence makes me like physically ill when I see people fighting or like, I can't watch UFC or any of that stuff. It makes me like sick to my stomach, Yes, but to explore 
the idea of that in like a pulpy arena mm -hmm. makes it uh, a lot more accessible, you know? Yes. And I think it's interesting, like I say pulpy, but their violence is quite realistic a lot of the time. You know, it's not like a Tarantino, like super pulpy, you know, heads getting blown off. It feels very realistic. Yes. Um, but I think that it's, uh, it makes sense. Like I, I think exploring it, in a safe, in a safe environment, yeah. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. in a movie allows you to, allows them at least to access uh, maybe some of that trauma, whatever that internalized yeah. thing is. Um, yeah. They, they just don't shy away from it and just, just show it. Um, yeah. And also I think, I, I, I don't know, you know, I couldn't really speak to how, how their violence in their movies is related directly to their Judaism. But I do think that, you know, like they're clearly big fans of the Western genre, for mm -hmm. example, and so am I. And I think that they just came up on, on movies that had lots and lots of violence yeah. in it. Yeah. And they wanted to put that within their movies as well, which I, which I also totally understand. Usually it's the simpler answer like that, that they just came up on violent movies. And so that that's in their minds. But I thought it was interesting to, th to think about. It. And also because I, I think, I mean, pretty much all of their movies are comedic, right? I can't think of any movie they've made that doesn't have something gently comedic uh, inside of it. And I think that what you're saying about like making, uh, like pursuing violence in a controlled environment, safe environment, but also in like a comedic environment is a nice way of processing it. Um, because I don't know, comedy is, uh, makes me feel good. You well, know? there's like, I mean, yeah, I would say that no country is not really a comedy. There's That's a true. There's nothing comedic in laugh, that. But, but it's not really a comedy. But like a great example, I think, is at the end of Lebowski, when the Germans, the nihilists, like meet them in the, in the parking lot of the bowling alley and they've set his car on fire. And then John Goodman's like, I'm not afraid of these guys. They're fucking cowards. <laughs> and then it gets like super violent for 20 seconds. He bites the guy's ear off and he throws the bowling ball into his stomach. And it's like this, like you, you gotta laugh. It's this, it's this like extreme heightened, super violent at the end of a, at the end of a comedy. Yeah. Like when I get to that scene, I laugh my ass off. Yeah, yeah. That whole scene is so funny to me, even though it's by far the most violent part of that movie. Yeah. Well, it's like a tension release, kind of. And also, you know, like you get to see, I, I like earned violence. And also when you, when you're like, you spend a whole movie being like, oh, I don't like these characters. They're mean. And then at the end, they get the shit kicked out of them. <laughs> you know, there's a cathartic experience there as well. Okay, Joel's older, Ethan's younger. Joel's older by three years. I think he's, he was born in 54. And I think uh, he pursued film, I think, in a, in a more direct way. Like he went to NYU film school. And then Joel went to... Sorry, not Joel, Ethan. Princeton or Yale? Hold on. Princeton. Uh-oh. <laughs> Don't get those mixed up. We'll yeah. They'll come for you. We got a lot of Princeton and Yale listeners. I got to be careful. Um... They went to, he went to Princeton for philosophy, and then he later joined Joel in New York to make film. Nerd. Nerd alert. I sometimes wonder, like, I, I, I don't know. This is, I sometimes, I'm an older sibling, and I like to sometimes pretend that I've influenced my sister a lot, like that a lot of her interests are my interests. Now, I'm sure the truth is our shared interests 
just come from our upbringing and our parents. But I think it's cute and interesting that Ethan followed his brother into film a little bit. Mm. Just a call. Well, I think it's, you know, Dan, my older brother, hasn't influenced me at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't like Useless. any of the same things. Yeah. Never showed me any music, never showed mm-hmm. me any movies. We yeah. got, we were really close to wearing the same sweater to this. Uh-huh. <laughs> he, he texted me. Would you have worn it? I, yeah. Should I go put it on? <laughs> I'm just like, I, I probably would have, I, I would have worn it if you didn't say but, anything because I've been wearing it every so day. That's so funny. We just got these new cool sweatshirts. So. Did you guys buy them together? Yeah. And we ordered them from the same place. So yeah. Uh, love that. Yeah. He her. was like, this is the one, I, you know, he looked at the website. He was like, this is the one I want. And I was like, I'm getting the same one. Just so you know. um, <laughs> Let me see. Is it Grateful Dead? Get up a bit. Yeah, but just you wait. Oh, shit. Well, that makes sense. Okay. It's uh, Homer Simpson backing into the bushes, but it's roses and it's a Grateful Dead skeleton. And then there's like, it's a white and then it's a black. And All it's right, a red. This is a podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, no, uh, this is the video I'll post. There's a company. Uh, called new springfield boogie and their whole thing is dead and simpsons mashup um and there maybe it's possible there are other canadians who have their gear but it's like a fairly new company and it's Uh in the states and it's possible that matt and i are the only canadians who have any of this stuff so far and you guys texted I was yeah, like, I said dibs said, oh. on the switch. <laughs> you know what, though? It would have been funnier if we were both wearing it right Absolutely. off the jump. Absolutely. So also, it would have been more opinion. interesting for me to not mention it just to see whether it happened <laughs> naturally. Yeah. But like immediately, as soon as I got it, I was like, this is the best piece of clothing that I own it's, instantly. It's really cool looking. Yeah. And if you guys had both worn it, and then I brought up that point about younger siblings. And just, I guess, you know what? I, I'm also influenced by my younger sister. Like, I, we influence each other. Right. It would have been a nice resonating point if you guys had been dressed the same. Well, in case my sarcasm wasn't clear, I was uh, heavily influenced by Dan yeah. in almost everything that I do in like. Wouldn't you say, like, you guys are siblings, okay? I am a sibling. I am so impressed that the two of them can have been working together for, what, 30 plus years? 40 years um seamlessly it seems uh it can't be it can't be although in most interviews um they see they say that they never really fight it's more like things are either gelling and jiving or they're not but Mm -hmm. that there's not a lot of like big arguments um i don't know it's impressive to me that two people can do such a it's not an egocentric job but it (sighs) creative jobs are like uh, personal and like you want to do them really, really well because yeah. they feel like a reflection of you. It'd be hard to share that, especially with a sibling, at least for me. I feel like they, you know, all things being relative, I'm sure they have their trouble as well. And they're yeah. so enigmatic. I know for me, even as a big fan of theirs, I don't really seek out a lot of information about them. I've, I've seen an interview here or there, but I never did like, the, oh, I got to go dig up any information I possibly can because to me, the enigma kind of makes it fun. Yeah, you know, and I don't necessarily need to know all that much about them, or maybe it's just that you know I spend my time doing other stuff. But yeah. I also think um, if you're like the best at what you do, and your entire career is success and adulation, um, and doors being open for you, maybe there's the potential for some ego to get in the way. But that probably creates one of the easier paths to 
harmony, you know, within that creative relationship. And, you yes. know, I guess there are siblings of all kinds, siblings who never speak to each other, who hate each other, who drift sure. apart, whatever it is. You know, Matt and I are particularly close. Our family is close. We all live pretty close to each other in Toronto. We spend a lot of time together. Uh, like Matt said, we have a lot of shared interests. You know, maybe it started out as a kind of thing where because I'm significantly older, I would pass a lot of stuff down to him. And he kind of- Dan's very old. Our listeners can't see. I just, <laughs> he's- Elderly, oh, gray beard. That's a depiction of me. That that skeleton. Wise looking. Incredibly old. Incredibly. Uh, incredibly handsome. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it goes both ways now, right? Like Matt and I will send each other things, um, and and you know he'll turn me on to new stuff that I haven't heard of. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, but I think like they made Blood Simple and it was incredible. Yeah. And then is the next movie Raising Arizona incredible yeah. and a completely different tone. So like yeah. they're on this ride of like, hey, we're really good at what we do. Yeah. And it's easier and easier for us to do exactly what we want with more money from people who are just like, here's a blank check, go do what you need to do. Right. Yeah. So to me, like I think if Maddie and I were in a situation like that, we'd be like, How fucking cool is yeah. it that yeah, we yeah. get to do this? For sure. Yeah. yeah, that's very true. That's such a it's such a thrilling thing to get to pursue your art and then make money off of it. It is funny that I think it was until 2004, you couldn't double credit uh, a director. And so like two directors could not be credited on the same film. And so Jewel was always credited as the director and Ethan was credited as a producer. And they changed the rules right before Lady Killers. So Lady Killers is the first movie that Ethan was allowed to be called director on, which is a little bit of a bummer. Um, but do they, they have always directed them together? Yep. Yep. Right. And he, he always got a writing credit as well. They always yes. wrote them together too. Yeah. Right. And like they would actors, split director, producer. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And actors have said that like, uh, you know, I, I think they've made this joke too, but that, you know, it's like whoever's closer in proximity to the actor gives the note. Like it, there doesn't really seem to be one person who has a defined role in either way. Um, that's interesting. I would have thought like naturally one person would be a little more involved with like the director of photography and the lighting and saying like, Hey, kind of here's the perspective. Whereas another one might be a little more involved in tweaking the performances. But if their level of preparation is so detailed, then maybe they're just, they already know when they get there on the day, exactly what they're going to do. They have the storyboards and stuff. Yeah. I've heard they don't give a ton of feedback because of that reason. To actors? To actors. Right. Like, well, that's uh, part of the preparation, right? They know who yeah. they have and they know that they're going to get the goods. Yeah. yeah. They also like pretty brilliantly cast their movies all the time. And yes. uh, I'm sure that that is a lengthy process for them to, to cast the right people. Either a lengthy process or they go, let's call George Clooney. <laughs> <laughs> so shit. Now I don't remember if it was blood simple. I think it was actually raising Arizona. Um, Either one, they, they were still pretty new to the industry and they didn't really know like how casting works. And so I guess they spoke to maybe one of their producers or somebody and they said like, how do you do this? And they said, you uh, meet with all the potential actors you wanna cast and, and, and chat with them and interview them. And the ones you find interesting, you audition. So they met with um, all of the actors and then he was like, okay, who do you want to meet with? He's like, oh, all of them. We thought they were all really interesting. <laughs> so they just like let all of them audition, which I love that that's such a, a diplomatic approach uh, and it's such a generous approach that they found all of them interesting in their own way. Um, and while we're on casting actors, uh, Holly Hunter, they had Holly Hunter in mind to play uh, the main character in Blood Simple. They'd seen her in a play. She couldn't do it. 
and Frances McDormand was her roommate, and so she recommended Frances McDormand. Oh, nice. Whoa. Right? And what? that's how they met. That's and that is how they met. talent in Old one apartment. And Franny. I know. That is a lot of talent in one apartment. Pre-fame, too. Oh, they're both so good. Sorry, I can't do this role. Check out my roommate, <laughs> Frances McDormand, one of the greatest actors of all time. Maybe you've and heard of her. And one of the greatest wives of all time to you. No, it's 1983. You haven't heard of her? Okay. You've never heard of her? Well, you're Will. about to. So it was 83. Uh, she auditions for them. And uh, they love her. And they say, can you come do a callback? And she said, no, I can't. I have my boyfriend is in a soap opera and I have to go watch him perform the lines on the callback day. And they thought that was so guileless that they were like, Perf- this, you're perfect for this role. This, what a <laughs> weird thing to do. And so they cast her. So this was 83. They were married a friggin' year later in 84, Joel and Frances, and they're still married 37 years later. That's impressive. I wonder if they, if Joel like orchestrated the break, it's like, oh, this fucking boyfriend, we got to get rid of this guy. Sure. He's dead. <laughs> yeah. Murder's a good way to deal with people who you don't want in your life for sure. They, I wonder how Jews from Minnesota who then after going to school are living together in New York, make a movie about people from Texas. Yeah. Like, to me, that's, it's, it's pretty wild. And Blood Simple is a very compact and like really, really well done film. I think it's so cool. They love westerns. Uh-huh. I think they love Texas. And yeah. Texas is also gorgeous. And there's a lot, it's so big. There's a lot of really different stuff to shoot there. There's big cities, there's lots of cool country. Yeah. Really interesting slice of Americana, you know, and uh, the, the, the people who live there, the music. And I feel like when you're from a small town in Minnesota, you you find those other parts of America. You know, you 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 put you find your story somewhere else. And I think, especially for people who end up becoming filmmakers, you know, they're living stories in their head all the time. Yeah. And I feel like it was. I, I I think it's really interesting that eventually they did make a serious man, and I wonder how long it took them to live outside of themselves, move to New York, yeah. write movies in Texas mm. or wherever, and then eventually focus their their skill and their storytelling back on themselves, which took them a long time to do. Um, but I think it's it's it makes sense that that they looked outside of themselves and and wanted to tell stories that uh, that were outside of their experience. Well, they're big readers. They read a lot. Um, and I think they, like, they are interested in stories, right? Like, a serious man is the story of Job in the Bible. And then, um, uh, what is Homer's Odyssey? What movie is Oh, that? brother. Oh, brother. Yeah. So, like, if you have stories in your head, and then you uh, travel at all, or even just, like, read about different cultures, I think you can just... Uh, fit a certain like mise-en-scene around a story um and they happen to be really brilliant at story uh, and also at a (laughs) mise-en-scene they do a lot of it's it's surprising for somebody for people who are as prolific and as beloved and celebrated as they are you know you think of them sort of as auteurs and i think in some ways they are but you look back at their work and a lot of it is based on other material or our remakes or uh like they do they do a lot of that even their stuff i think yeah. that isn't overtly um 
uh, a remake or or based on other material you can really feel their influences in a lot of what they do but they find a way of making their own which i think is what great artists do when i was a kid i thought that was cheating i was like you're not allowed to do that okay um this is wait this is what this made me laugh okay so they're very private and apparently francis mcdormand also claims to be very private and i believe that they are private i i haven't not been able to find a lot about their marriage but the one quote I could find about their marriage from Fran is very not private. I'm going to read it, okay? Okay, so they were film filming Blood Simple in Austin, and Fran had bought only one book with her. She had brought only one book with her. So she asked Joel if he had any recommendations, and he brought her an entire box of books by James M. Cain and Raymond Chandler. And she said, now we're in, we're chatting, we're talking as Fran, okay. She said, which one should I start with? And he said, the postman always rings twice. I read it and it was one of the sexiest fucking books I've ever read. A couple of nights later, I said, would you like to come over and discuss the book? That did it. He seduced me with literature. And then we discussed books and drank hot chocolate for several evenings. It was fucking hot. <laughs> <laughs> that is hot. What is a quote from? What is it from? I don't know. Like, is that... Is that super recent? Yeah. Sick. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's pretty recent. I don't right. know. It's that after was, their that marriage. Was like, oh, that was before they started. That was the, like the beginning of their courtship sort of, yeah. or had yeah. they already been dating? No, that was the beginning of their courtship. They, they, I guess she had broken up with the uh, soap opera boyfriend by this point, And then they uh, started shooting the movie. And then... It was just fucking hot. Well, hot, chocolate. hot chocolate in Austin, Texas. Yeah, it's fucked. Jews, I guess. <laughs> um, okay, we're going to play a quick game. Oh, okay. Of two truths and a lie. Oh, yeah. You guys oh, yeah. know it? I like this segment. Uh, yeah. You guys I know, know the game. Okay, I'm going to tell you two truths and one lie. You guys are going to guess it's a lie. Now, I have a feeling you guys will be very good at this. My other guests were not as informed as, uh, about their choices. So we'll see. We'll see. Okay. We're notorious fibbers, and you can't have a fibber. <laughs> Big so. liars. We're not brothers. We've, and we've never seen any, any Cohen brothers. He doesn't even have this shirt. <laughs> <laughs> Neither do I. <laughs> Here we go. <clears throat> one. When raising money for Blood Simple, they accidentally hit one of their prospective investors' cars in the driveway. They debated whether to tell him before or after showing him the trailer, and they went with after. He did not invest. Okay, that's, that's one. one. Two. Fargo was almost called Brainerd. The title choice was between Fargo and Brainerd, the two most important locations in the film, but they thought Fargo sounded better. Three. Joel was an assistant editor on The Evil Dead, and the first time Joel Cohen met Sam Raimi, Sam Raimi's dog made diarrhea in the editing room and Joel offered to clean it up. Raimi thought this was weird, but took him up on it anyway. I think two is the lie. I agree. I think Fargo had a different alternate title to begin with. And also wait. the diarrhea story is too funny to be made up. It has to be true. So wait, you guys are, you guys are guessing that Fargo Brainerd is a lie. Correct. But Dan, you said because you think it did have an alternate title. For some reason, that just flashed. I don't know what it is, but I, I think see, at I some see. point, I, re I 
consumed a piece of information about what they wanted to call it, but someone wanted them to call it fart. Maybe that's not true. Okay, but okay. I also immediately thought two sounds like a lie. To me, the second one um, has the least detail, which to me tells me it's the lie. The first one, way too much detail, must mm-hmm. be true. Mm-hmm. And diarrhea dog, <laughs> I choose to believe that that's true. Yeah, like, are you that gross? <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> no, I'm a lady. Um, okay. <laughs> the lie was diarrhea dog. No! Spoiled <laughs> <laughs> by a diarrhea dog yet again. Again! <laughs> story of my life <laughs> shit i feel like a fucking idiot let's cut this i legit, feel like a fucking once, diarrhea dog i once uh and i i i didn't have dogs growing up i i'm not i uh, don't have a lot of experience with dogs but i once uh dog sat uh i was working on a tv show and uh the producer was from out of town and he was going out of town but he had his dog here and and uh, he was staying in Kensington Market, which, if you happen not to know, is like a pretty bustling, busy place in downtown Toronto. And uh, I was taking care of his dog for a few days. And the first time I took his dog out for a walk, the dog shit liquid shit all over the sidewalk. And like, I got the bag there. I, I assume you could <laughs> even imagine if you don't know from experience, you can't like pick up liquid dog shit. Yeah, no. And it was mortifying. Yeah, 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 yeah. There's yeah. people everywhere. And uh, I think I just ran away. May- yeah. <laughs> In my mind, I want to say that like a local, like a grocer or something brought out a hose, hose and yeah. sprayed it, but that might not be true. That might, that might, that might just be like a wishful thought. <laughs> our dad told me this story really recently about taking the, my, our dad has two huge fucking dogs and taking them for a walk and they were outside of a Starbucks and one of the dogs took like a massive diarrhea shit all over the, the sidewalk right outside of the starbucks and there were two women at the table and one of them was like that's disgusting you have to take care of this and the other was like don't worry about it i'll get a staff member it's okay and the woman who was disgusted was like i'm leaving and and my dad was just like all right i'm i'm gonna go there's nothing i can do and he started walking and he turned around and the woman who was so disgusted and was leaving he looked back and she had just stood up and slipped in it and was like lying on the sidewalk covered in dog shit (laughs) that sounds like do you know on It's Always Sunny how Charlie like intentionally steps in dog shit? Yeah. And it's like so- something like, well, how will I know how it feels if I don't do it? Or something like, <laughs> you know, just like a Charlieism. That's what it sounds like. If you're grossed yeah. up by dog shit, yeah. how are you stepping in? <laughs> <laughs> or maybe maybe she's so, so grossed out by dog shit because she does this all the time. Like she, <laughs> she can't avoid it for some weird reason. She's just a little sicky. God, what a beautiful karmic story. She's stuck in diarrhea dog baby well your um, lie your lie really took us into some fruitful yeah. territory <laughs> I'm so glad. <laughs> i know that's the trick with lying is the de- detail i feel especially like an idiot after you were like you guys are going to be so good at this game let's do it again same ones <laughs> <laughs> it's diarrhea dog <laughs> Ugh, diarrhea dog used to be so good but i thought their second album just sort of fell flat yeah that's a sophomore slump. They're on tour when they're just writing about the road. That's not interesting. Come on. Give me that first record, Diarrhea Dog by Diarrhea Dog. The soft oh, yeah. school slump. That's hot shit. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Thank you so much. You guys were the best guests. I'm probably not going to put that in. But... No, no. Keep it. Okay. Please. Thank you um, for having us. This was, yeah, was great. Thank you so much. Uh, have a wonderful Diarrhea Dog day. We always do. Diarrhea dog afternoon. Diarrhea dog di- <laughs> afternoon. Uh, with Al Puccino.
I'll take it. It's, it's like poo and pooch. Oh, poo. It's pretty fucking good. Nice. That okay. is good. I'm writing this down. Diarrhea dog. Poochie poo. Mm-hmm. Yeah, write this down. To something here. Is this Joel and Ethan on the phone? Princeton? Is this the kind of stuff that your producers want to hear? <laughs> no, I've been uh, told. I told him I was. I was actually reining it in a little with like being gross, and he laughed in my damn face. Um, <laughs> oh, so so did I. Okay, guys, thank you so much for doing this. Uh, yeah, of course. And uh, have a wonderful day. Thanks, Thanks Laura. You for having too. us. My pleasure. Huge thank you to my guests, Dan and Matt Worrysmith. You can listen to Dan's podcast, Big Papas, the podcast for modern dads, anywhere you listen to podcasts. Check out Matt's music. You can follow his band, Union Duke, at Union Duke on Instagram, and his other band, Corey Hotline, at Corey Hotline Music on Instagram. This show is hosted and edited by me, Laura Lebo. Executive producer is Michael Freeman. We're distributed by the CJN Podcast Network. Follow me on Instagram at Laura Lebo and Twitter at Twebo. Follow at the CJN on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. Find other podcasts at thecjn.ca. Please make sure to subscribe and review the podcast. It really helps us out and we're nice. <laughs>